Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey there, Joystick Wagglers. We're about to reach the end of Series 1 of Games Master, and we're going to do a special Series 1 wrap-up episode talking about our favourite celebs, challenges, reviews, consultation zones, moments, and many more. But we can't do it without you. So email in your favourite and least favourite moments from Series 1 of Games Master to feedback at underconsultation.com or tweet us at underconsolepod. You can send us an MP3 of your thoughts, or you can call 020 902-666 and leave a voicemail with your feedback. We'll be playing your thoughts on the show, so get in touch and you, that's right, you could be featured on our Series 1 wrap-up episode of Under Consultation. Or if you don't want your voice heard, put it down in words on an email or a tweet and we'll read those out too. The only thing we ask is to tell us what your favourite bit of music from this era of gaming is. Right, on with the show. Welcome to our kingdom. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, fueling the fantasies of balding, pot-bellied PC owners everywhere. And I am Ash, trigger-happy versus. (laughs) This episode aired on the 10th of March, 1992. Star Trek VI is still number one at the box office. Shakespeare's sister is still number one in the UK charts. And in video game news, Fantasy Star Adventure is released for the Game Gear, but more importantly, Toe Jam and Freaking Earl is released for the Mega Drive, which, as we've said in a previous episode, is a brilliant game. It is an absolutely brilliant game, a long-lasting legacy, a recent sequel. It did indeed, yeah, yeah. it came out last year. Yeah, so yeah. I think a vastly underrated set of mascots of the 90s, fondly remembered by those who were there at the time, but doesn't get anywhere near the same exposure or level of nostalgia as your Sonics. Exactly. Or even your Shinobis. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily get a Primark t-shirt with Toe Jam and Earl on, whereas Sonic does. Sonic even gets a nice hat now. Yeah. I've definitely seen some Shinobi shirts around. Yeah, yeah. Sega have, like, they've relaunched their, uh, particularly in Europe, they've relaunched their merchandise. Um, and I bought quite a bit of it. Are you wearing one of it now, actually? You're wearing a 
Mega Drive jacket. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a Mega Drive hoodie uh, that I bought from a retail gaming chain in the UK. I say A, the retail <laughs> gaming chain in the UK, who essentially game. Yeah. Um, in a sale, and yeah, I bought it. And the only sad thing is, is I'm wearing a Mega Drive hoodie. I never owned a Mega Drive, <laughs> and I really want a Super Nintendo equivalent. Yeah. And there are Super Nintendo hoodies, but this one, you've got the D-pad on the nice. arm. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, Better frontage and the buttons on the side. The Super Nintendo one just has the logo that says Super Nintendo. Oh, and what? Uh, yeah, they missed. Boo. They missed the trick. They missed the trick. Thank you and welcome to a very sad occasion. Like Liberace, I've tinkered with my last ivory for tonight sees the final Games Master in the series. Over the last 10 weeks, we've introduced television to the joys of video gaming. And we hope we've shown some people the neon delights of arcade ecstasy while satisfying the cravings of the most rampant joystick tuggers. So yeah, this is the final episode of the series. We've made it to the end of season one, 10 episodes in, <laughs> last recording for this season, I've got a bag of cans. Oh, what? Hey, you get the cans in for the lads. We've done all of these shows sober. Yes, we have. So I figured if we're going to make a mistake, <laughs> we can do it on the last one. Oh, these are good looking cans as well. Liquid sex robot. It sounds like something from. Uh, <laughs> this is a dominant. This is a diamondism. Really we've got a couple is. of choices. We, yeah, we've got liquid sex robot. We've got very dangerous asps, and we've got little nipper. Oh, I've got a dangerous ass me, mates. Uh, I'm going to go with a sex robot. I think. I think I'm going to go with a sex robot as well. <laughs> so here we are for episode ten, both with our sex robots. Indeed, gets a bit of nice foley work. Oh, did you check the percentage, by the way? Oh, actually, no, I didn't. That's a good point. <laughs> Fucking hell. 7.9. Holy shit. Strap yourself in, folks. This could get... Because the thing is, a single beer at 7.9 isn't necessarily much, but we are at the end of at least a 12-hour day now for both yeah. of us. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. This will be fun. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to you. It's a nice beer, that as well. Yeah, Cheers. It's not bad. I hope you've all got your cans while you're listening to this, unless you're on the tube in the morning. Or unless you don't drink, in which case, you know, steaming jasmine is always a valid option. She's so lovely. She's so <laughs> lovely. She makes a mean cuppa as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, the crowd boo uh, the announcement that this is the final episode of the series. This was the same crew that were in for Kendo Nagasaki a few weeks back. <laughs> they were well into the panto antics. Um, Dominic Diamond says that this show has introduced television to the joys of video gaming and arcade ecstasy while satisfying the cravings of the most rampant joystick wagglers. No, no, not wagglers. Tuggers. He doesn't even hide behind the word waggle. He's like, no, I am literally saying they have their cocks in their hands. <laughs> you know, I've waggled a joystick. I may have tapped it. I may have even flicked it. I don't think I've ever tugged on a joystick in my life. <laughs> As we're talking about gaming peripherals. Of course. So really, at that point, it's like, no, Cox. Yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> uh, well, let's head on over to Games Master and find out what the first challenge on this last episode is. Hello. If it flies, shoot it. That's the message for the first of this week's challenges on Duck Hunt. With your trusty hunting dog crushing out your prey, you have three shots to bag each pair of fleeing ducks you will need to shoot eight out of ten ducks on the first level. If you're successful, you'll go on to the second level, 
where smaller and faster clay pigeons will replace ducks. And you will need to hit nine out of ten for ultimate triumph. Go on, see if you can make my day, young man. Hey, man, it's duck hunt. What did you say? <laughs> I'm amazed. I wonder if there was footage of Dominic Diamond very carefully saying the words duck, duck hunt, hunt just to see how close he could get it to a word that even now you can't really say on television <laughs> yeah. post-watershed. Post exactly. Duck hunt. If it flies, yeah. you shoot it. You need to get eight out of the ten ducks on the first bit and then nine out of the ten clay pigeons. Make my day. Now, did you know that duck hunt was a port? Hmm of a physical game that was also released by Nintendo in 1976. Yes, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, a light beam game, but I love the fact that even this was a port of a physical game. I think that's brilliant. Also, bloody hell, this was an old game to it's put up. It's an old-ass game to be putting on. We were talking last week about how, like, uh, maybe they didn't want to do Barry McGuigan's boxing because it came out in 1988. It's only 1985. This game's ancient. Well, as was said by the jazz man who joins us on commentary for this one, this game is almost as old as the contestant playing it. And who is our contestant this week? Our contestant this week is a man many of you will be familiar with in his current guise on The Cheap Show or as part of Digitizer. It's Paul Gannon. Yes. From the Wirral. From the Wirral. <laughs> Up the Wirral Massive. Now, Paul, Duck Hunt is a game that most people will have on the Nintendo, so this is your big chance to show everybody how to play it. How do you feel? Are you confident? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you'd like to take your pistol in your hand, get in position and we'll get ready to start. Yeah, Dominic says that most people have got Duck Hunt on the uh, Nintendo, but Paul is here to show us how it's done. So take your pistol in your hand and get ready to start. Yeah, he is nervous as all get out as well. Isn't he just? It's like Dominic's like, are you confident? No. No. <laughs> Although the delivery is perfect, I can see why he has a future in hosting because, <laughs> yeah, even if he's not confident, he works it. Yeah. And he makes it look good. Here again is Jazz Rignall from Mean Machine and CNVG. Jazz, Duckhunt, what a game. Well, it's nearly as old as the Challenger, but it's fun and that's what counts. <laughs> now, any initial hints you could give for this splendid game? Well, apart from moving the gun right next to the screen so you can't miss, uh, <laughs> that's about it, I think. Okay. Well, I'm sure our Challenger will bear that in mind. Jazz Rignall is in the booth, uh, which gives the wonderful bit of advice, don't miss. Also, the wonderful bit of advice of if you want to make sure you hit every target, hold the gun right up against the screen. Do you know what? It would have been brilliant if Gannon had gone, yeah, yeah, yeah I just good done show, it. Actually. That's, yeah. a good, that's a brilliant idea. Because would the producers have said, uh, actually, no, um, <laughs> can you stop? Uh, well, Paul misses his second shot, but gets past the first section, nails the second section, and the next one, Jazz warns him. Don't get cocky, kids. This boy is smoking now, Jazz. <laughs> he better watch out that confidence goes to his head. And... It's a great, kid. Don't get cocky. He 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 went in. He went in guns a blazing. He did. He nails it. Gets the eight that he needs. One escapes, and then we move on to the clay pigeon section where he misses one of the two pigeons, which means now he's got to hit every single target. I remember playing Duck Hunt. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. You won't hear the first one of those <laughs> um, at a friend's house. And the actual duck part of it isn't too bad. Getting eight or nine is not that difficult. The clay pigeon, because they're they so curve. much narrower. Yeah, and they curve in the banking, but they're a much narrower target. And then if you're playing that, as I was at my friend's house, on like a 14-inch television. <laughs> yeah. 
14 inches. You were, you were posh. I wasn't me. It was my friend's house. He was the he was he was he was he was a little rich boy over there. <laughs> little Lord Fontaroy. <laughs> well, his name was Carl, but kind of. Uh, very close. He's being a bit uh, itchy on the trigger finger. So yeah, Jazz thinks that he's been a bit trigger happy uh, on that shot, and he's now got to get every single one, and he does it brilliantly. Nails every single shot that he needs, and then. That's the final two fire out. He's got three shots. He hits one. He misses the second shot and then misses the third. Oh, man. It was heartbreaking. Absolutely bloody heartbreaking. So close. And we get the sad organ. so close. Jazz Regnal is in tears in the commentary box. That's how close you were. Talk me through what happened in the end. Just got triggered, Abby. Yeah, you did a bit. Dominic comes out and he's like, Jazz is Jazz is literally in tears. You like, I know he's not the big bastard. Well, I was going to say, poor Paul is. Paul looks really upset. Yeah. And essentially says, I just got trigger happy. Yeah, his quote is, I just got trigger happy. And Dominic's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you did. But he enjoyed himself. I just feel really bad for him. Yeah. So, but off he trots back to Wirral. Back to the Wirral. So trigger happy with the words of Paul back then. But what of Paul now? Let's throw it over to the future usses to find out. <laughs> Thanks, past usses. So, we'd like to welcome our first ever guest to Under Consultation. In addition to his appearance on Games Master, you may know him from Cheap Show. You may know him from Barshans, or, to be honest, the quite ludicrous projects of Paul Rose. But wherever you know him from, there are higher than likely odds that you know him by the name of Paul Gannon. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Hello. It's 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 sobering to know I'm your first guest. I kind of feel very sorry for you instantly. Well, you know, we tried to get hold of Patrick Moore, but it was proving problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, uh, now that Derek Akor is gone, I do have access to Sam, his spirit guide, so I'll try and reach out. <laughs> I can imagine you reaching out and all you're getting is dick. Well, mm, he d- he was used to getting quite a lot. You know what? That sounds weird if I just say it like that. <laughs> it's going to make If any of our audience are familiar with your other projects, I think they'd be fairly understanding. Yeah, for those who don't, uh, I had a small dalliance in the career of Derek Akora for a very short period of my life, and that was eye-opening. Interesting. So I first became aware that you were on Games Master, like in present day, when I saw the first episode of Digitizer, the show. Oh, okay. Um, That makes sense, though, because it's been a secret shame of mine for most of my adult life. It's amazing, though, because looking back at the footage, you actually haven't changed that much at all. You are very (laughs) recognisably Paul Gannon at that point in your life. I think I was 13 when I did that, I think. 13 or 14 yeah i i i did uh my appropriate catfishing and did you know work out when you were born and when <laughs> yeah 13 wow. well you know research it's a difficult thing um yeah yeah, yeah. But, there's a fine line though between research and obsession so just be careful <laughs> going forward should i move towards obsession or towards research I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where the line is oh thank you i appreciate <laughs> that so before games master where are you as a kid, what are your interests? What what is your gaming experiences? What is your level of gaming obsession? Uh, do you know what? It's such a weird question because I came from a reasonably 
poor background. Not like it's not destitute, but you know, like I didn't have the latest console, I didn't have the latest games. Everything I got came years later. So even though where when was it? So it was ninety four, you say? Ninety one. Ninety one. Ninety one. Jesus Christ, <laughs> where's the time gone? So ninety one, I think I'd only just gotten a Game Boy, maybe at that point. Um so I think my first console was a Game Boy, and that's why I'm quite attached to it. But my brother, for whatever reason, had a master system and so i think they were the only two consoles we had in our house at that time funnily enough having um the master system helped with being on games master because they told me about the game i was going to play on the show quite late after the audition and so they said try and get hold of a game and we didn't have it the closest we had was the built-in was it called Safari Hunt on the Master System? The one that was built into the Master System the master, with the light gun. That was built into the Master System One. Yeah, so that's how that's how I got my practice in by playing a completely different <laughs> light gun game based game. That's an interesting twist of the story that I didn't see coming, but I, I look forward to getting to that in a bit. So right. you mentioned you found out after the audition that what the game was, but how did you get to the audition like what was the process you went through to suddenly find yourself auditioning for this show that was just starting up and being filmed in a slightly creepy church yeah well basically i was a very precocious child and my mom wanted me to do acting and i tried it and absolutely hated it it's the often told story and it is true that my mom when i was younger i want to say eight or nine uh made me go to a milky bar kid audition because at that time I was a carbon copy of the Milky Bar Kid in my looks. Um, I don't remember this occurrence at all, but my mum said I didn't do anything but cry throughout the whole process. <laughs> and so I obviously didn't get it. Um, uh, my mum was obsessed with me getting that role. For Easter, she got me nothing but uh, Milky, Bar, Milky Bar eggs. And I ate them all in one night, was violently ill. And now I just can't touch white chocolate. So I've got a lot of... <laughs> A lot of deep-seated issues with the Milky Bar Kid. But anyway, there was an advert for Games Master, as I say, and they're looking for people to present it or certainly be on it. And I thought it was going to be like um, a games version of Why Don't You? Why Don't You was a kid's show where the kids kind of hosted this magazine format show. And I thought, oh, they're going to hire a bunch of kids to review games and play games. And I thought that was the concept. So I remember writing to... Uh, whatever the address was, and saying, I want to be on your show. And for some reason, at some point, I got a letter back saying, we'd love to have you come down to London or wherever the audition place was and just come play a game. What was the audition process like? Did they, did they just in, like ask you questions about your sort of your gaming interests or did they ask you to play any games or anything like that? I seem to think when I was talking to a producer or someone who's part of the show, they weren't sure of the format yet or something like that. And they were trying stuff out and they said it was going to be, you know, people playing games and challenges and all these kind of things. So they said, what we want you to do is play a game against this other kid. And uh, if you win, uh, we'll have you speak to Dominic Diamond or whatever it was. So um, the game they asked me to play was Pit Fighter of all bloody oh, things. What, not the, the Amiga version. It was definitely a, uh, it wasn't the arcade, put it that way. In my head, in my head, I want to say it was like the Master System version of Pit Fighter, if one existed. <laughs> but I remember it being very poor. And I'm not a huge... I, I'm very, very poor at fighting games. I, I don't get them. I don't like them. They frighten me. I don't understand it. 
But I somehow managed to wing my way through that game playing against this kid. And then that was it. And then I, I remember Dominic Diamond coming in very, very briefly and just saying hello and isn't this exciting and a few pleasantries and walking out. And that's kind of it. So you got through the audition process and you walked away with the knowledge that you were going to be used for the show? No, I don't even, I don't think at that point I knew anything other than it, this show was happening. Thanks for coming in. We'll be in touch. I think it came in a letter. Oh, you know what? That's a lie. I do remember it being a phone call now and they were going to follow it up with a letter. So I think the letter had all the information in, but the phone call was all like, yes, we're doing this. We want you to be on it. It's very exciting. It's not a TV show. It's a game show, which I do remember being upset about because I remember thinking, well, I didn't really want to be on a game show because I'm not a great gamer. And that's remained true all of my (laughs) life. But I want to be on the telly, don't I? So, of course, I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to say, how dare you? I was expecting a starring role. So, yeah, I just remember them saying, right, yeah, Duck Hunt. We want you to play Duck Hunt. That's what you'll be playing. There'll be a challenge. And if you can get hold of a system, that'd be great. And we couldn't. And the best thing we could do was play Safari Hunt. So I remember just playing that for hours and actually getting quite good at it. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't get to play Duck Hunt until the actual day of shooting. What was that day like? Like, you know, arriving at this disused church. Uh, so what was the, the mood like? Like, how were you sort of welcomed by the production team? There's, there's, there's one kind of sad element to this story, which, which always sticks with me when I watch it back, is that um, we were allowed to bring a few friends down. So it was my mum, me, I want to say my brother, but also uh, another kid I knew at the time called Craig. And Craig was a guy who was really into gaming. He had a Super Nintendo. I would sometimes go around to his. Our mums were friends. Uh, we weren't like close friends, but you know, it was nice to go over and play with like his Super Nintendo every now and then. And um, I, I do remember him coming along. Now, to fast forward to much later in the day, a year or so later after that filming, Craig died of meningitis. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, it was really sudden. It kind of, he, he had, the complaints in the morning and was dead by the evening and it was really shocking it was the first person i knew in my immediate life who you know had died really um but it's weird going back and knowing that when i watch that he's in the audience um always there because i i kind of know i mean this this spins off into a story i tell in my solo show about ghost hunting but it all kind of comes it all weirdly folds back my life always folds back on itself in weird ways but it it does remind me craig always being in that footage of Games Master, it does remind me of him. And that's why, like, when I mentioned him on my solo show, there is a there was a point to it because it hit his mum really hard. So she uh, had that footage with her uh, because she just, it was the only moving footage she had of his son, weirdly, even though, like, you can barely see him. Mm. But uh, anyway, so anyway, we went, we all went down together on the coach and we had to pay our own way. And so, yeah, we got the coach down, got the underground there, found the place. And then basically, um, they just said you need to be in the audience and we're going to move you around for different segments because I I believe they didn't film bits in episodes like they didn't sit I might be wrong but they didn't record one episode at a time they would like record all the games they'd use with the NES and then reset with the Master System and record all the games they could then and then split them across the season which I presume is how they did it so um, so I remember having to watch a lot of other people playing games but I don't remember too much about what those were and who they were. But I remember Dominic Diamond. And I remember it just being very, very cold the whole way through. <laughs> I think because we're all sitting there on these benches and, you know, it's a cold church and there's fog machines. And even with all the lights on, it still had a chill to it. So, yeah, I just seem to remember the day being 
really long and I think my shoot came towards the end of the day I do remember me being kind of first in last out when I was listening back to some of the the episodes that we've done you know you have like Dominic Diamond say and let's go to Games Master for the challenge and he'll say things like ah our first two competitors failed at their challenges which has obviously been record way later so yeah what was on the screen like when he's sort of throwing to it like did they have anything there or like you know a test image or just anything on screen for you to look at and find out what the challenge was you know what i i honestly don't remember and that's such a bugger because <laughs> my mem my memory tells me i remember seeing it but i honestly don't think they could have because if anything i don't know how late patrick moore was was brought onto the project because i know they were talking about there would be a games master uh and uh he'll tell you what to do but it's weird i just kind of feel like maybe on the day i didn't see anything but maybe i saw footage on a tv screen so i had an idea of what was going on hmm. I, I can't help at all on that that's really strange because I, I i want to say they did it live there are moments when Dominic throws it over to the games master and it's kind of a distant shot from like the back of the church. And you definitely see Patrick Moore up on yeah. the screen that's above the kind of the staging area. I, I do remember there seemed to be a lot of just him talking and doing lots of different intros and outros and, and things like that and different outcomes. Because I do, I, again, this might be a memory playing tricks, but they did record me winning and losing. Uh, so yeah, I do remember that happening. Uh, Big Boy Barry did a, uh, an interview recently with Retro Gamer where he said that he, he when he played Sonic One in episode two, he like bombed into a bad nick straight away and lost, you know, and died right off the bat. And yeah. they and they let him have a second try at it. And we've heard like stories of, of multiple takes being done. So so you did do it twice then. See, I don't think I did it twice. I think I just I I, I, I might have filmed. It, it felt very brief. It felt like I got in and got out. And then when I watched it back on TV, there were bits that didn't happen while I was there. The intro was very different uh, that I got on the day. And I, yeah, I don't know. I'm being vague, but it's only because now that I'm piecing it together, it feels like I do remember seeing the footage of Patrick Moore, but I don't remember how much of it in like if they recorded bits afterwards, you know, pick up shots and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this on, on a tangent while it's in my head. I do remember not being told what episode I was going to be in. And so... I would just watch every episode, hoping that I'd, you know, I would see. and every every now and then I would see myself in the audience, right, with my mom and whatever, and I'd say, "Oh, I must be in this episode," and then, no, yeah, it was the uh, that you were the first challenger on episode ten, so the last episode of oh, season 10, one, yeah, um, blimey, yeah, they, yeah, they you, saved the best till last, yeah, definitely. They they did let me they did film a rehearsal I know that I know because just to go through it they let me play through the game uh, um, wouldn't you know it I won on that one uh, <laughs> uh, I can't remember ever being in a situation where they film me holding a golden joystick but I do seem to remember them filming me looking you know walking away from the camera and walking to and like can you look like you've just won or can you look like you're defeated you know those kind mm -hmm. of things because maybe when they're shooting it ad hoc is that the right word yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah. they're shooting it they can't get all the angles because they're doing it live and in the moment but they have the opportunity to do closer up close-ups and takes when i'm walking in and walking out and that kind of stuff so something that we noticed while we were going over the challenge during the uh during the episode you have a watch near your elbow yeah <laughs> it's very stylish it's very stylish yeah. it's also it's right up by your elbow and i'm really curious as to the logical reasoning okay the logic is again i was a precocious child and so 
uh i think i think a relative an auntie or a nan or whatever got me uh a, a, pri- a present you know to say well done and so they got me the super mario 3 lcd watch oh, you know that you- those are good <laughs> And you know what? It was, I love that watch. And I was so proud of it that I wanted to make sure that everyone saw that I owned one on the telly. So that's why I wore it so far up my arm. <laughs> so, so you could see it. But also, there was actually a little reason for it in that it was on my wrist. But when I was holding the gun and moving it around, it felt funny on my wrist. So they either said, take it off. Or what? As I, did, I didn't want to take it off. So I think I moved it up my wrist to get the best of both worlds. I mean, you say that you did it so that people would notice, and here we are nearly 30 years later, and we noticed. <laughs> yeah, you see? So it worked. So as the first person we've spoken to that's actually been on the show, um, you mentioned that at the audition you met Dominic Diamond um, uh, somewhat briefly or talked to him after you defeated your opponent at Pit Fighter. Uh, yeah. How was he on the day? Because by his behaviour on screen, he's a very difficult man to get a read on, as mm. into what he actually thinks of children because uh, <laughs> he's either he's either being slightly patronizing or just out and out making dick jokes at them and so i was just curious was he like that all the time or when the camera was off did he kind of slink away to the cloisters when i met him at the audition again i remember him being reasonably polite but i also get the impression he knows or knew absolutely nothing about gaming nor did i think he particularly cared i think he quite rightly it's a job and he's been hired to do that job and they obviously liked him enough to present it so he didn't necessarily have to know a lot about gaming because he had to be the ringmaster um dominic was very nice but again i used to make a joke of this in a solo show i did but um he i don't think he gets my name once right during the whole episode <laughs> i'm pretty sure he calls me paul Ga- cannon Gallon and then Gamnon, I think. It's, <laughs> it's something like that. I just seem to remember that when I watch that back, I don't think he gets my name right. And I don't think it was like a vindictive thing. I just think for whatever reason, it didn't compute. Paul Gammon! And so I remember uh, him, him again, when he's recording, he, you know, he says, best of luck. And, you know, I'm however old I am, 12, 13, 14, but I look a lot younger and so I think that innocence, he didn't want to quite crush it yet. He wanted the game to play out first before he could step in. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, is that when I did, I did said I did my catfishing and I worked out how old you were, I did go back and look at the footage and go, really? Because, yeah, yeah, you look young for your age. And I suspect that's why um, Jazz Rignall made the comment of the game being older than you, because... He may have looked at you and gone, oh, yeah, yeah, very, very, very likely. Um, and again, it's weird because I, I think literally the first time I got to play Duck Hunt was in the uh, kind of a technical shoot or whatever it was, the quick run through they gave me. So I wasn't allowed to play the whole game. I think they just let me play the first two Duck Hunt sections. So I didn't even get to do the Frisbee bit mm. until I actually ended up playing it on the show uh so once they did that and again they said hooray you won let's do your walking thing and then they went to film it and all i remember thinking was this is easy (laughs) (laughs) i remember finding it very very easy and not stressing too much i I do know i kind of i in the back of my head i wanted to make it look like i was an action hero so i think my pose was unnecessary like stallone in cobra or something (laughs) that you know where I've got my arms locked and my hand, you know, wrapped around the trigger. And yeah, but then when I got to the Frisbee bit, I didn't know what to expect because all of a sudden it was a completely different game type. Um, and 
uh, as it's as you see in the episode it, it, i lose but it's frustrating because it's always the way with me i can't just lose properly i can't lose from the beginning and get worse i have to have the hope the hope <laughs> and the, the joy just there just out of reach so when i go for it that's when it goes and so i'm actually i actually really like the way it plays out because yeah it's sad that i lose but the fact that it i lose just at an inch at the end just i just that one last shot kind of makes it a bit more satisfying to watch drama wise um it's heartbreaking it's the rocky story it is it is it's yeah it's like it's basically duck hunt is my apollo creed (laughs) (laughs) also duck hunt's gonna train you one day (laughs) well it's funny because again it's like jumping ahead a bit in time that's the reason why we did it for digitizer in that we tried to revisit it in that way uh more like penance than retribution yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah i remember being distraught and and then obviously dominic diamond comes straight in they keep rolling at that point in my head i remember saying the words trigger happy a lot more than i do in the final edit but that seems to be the overriding memory is me saying i think he says you just got trigger happy and then i say yeah i just got here but trigger happy oh i just got trigger happy i think i just get locked into saying trigger happy but i do know there's a you know like there's a scene in simpsons where uh, chief wiggum's son uh, ralph wants to yeah ralph wants to ask out lisa and she says no live on tv and then bart steps in and goes this is the exact moment when his heart breaks i genuinely think i've got the exact same moment on a, on, on games master i think if you pause it in the right moment you can just see my heart breaks i think i'm just inches away from not crying actually at that point if, if i have a tombstone i do want <laughs> i just got a bit trigger happy written on it and then that picture of my face with the teary eyes from the age of 12 the horrible thing is my girlfriend plays along now. It's like she'll go, oh, what's that up over there? And I'll look, thinking it's a light bulb or a spider I need to fetch. The minute I raise my eyes and look up, she goes, just got to be triggered happy. And I was like, oh, how, how dare you? <laughs> so I lose the game, blah, 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 blah. Once everything's finished filming, that's when they give out or they gave out. Well, actually, here's the thing. But I don't think they had game mats, the golden joysticks to give out. I think they had one for show, and then they, you'd get it later in the post, right? Mm-hmm. I seem to remember being told that if you won the golden joystick, all you got was the golden joystick, right? Whereas me, they said, come backstage, we've got a goodie bag. You can take what you want as a consolation prize. So I remember going back, and there were like bin bags or certainly sacks of skeins and stuff. So I remember going in and pulling out a... Uh, Bonanza Brothers t-shirt uh, that I took, you know, and I could wear. I think there was an Atari Lynx game in there that was just lying. I think I grabbed that. I think I must have made off like a bandit because I remember coming away with games and t-shirts and magazines and things like that. Whereas the kids who won the golden joysticks just had to go home and wait. I seem to remember that that was how it played out. So I always meant to think, oh, if, if that's what it meant to lose, I got all this swag. Then yeah, great. So yeah, and then that was it. A long journey back home. Mum was quite sad for me. I don't know. I was happy. I was playing me stuff and me T-shirt on. It was great. After the initial broadcast, was there a point where people started to recognise or twig that you had this history with the show? Or did it kind of go away unless you brought it up? It went away unless I brought it up. And I didn't tend to bring it up, to be fair. <laughs> I just It was just the only thing I had was that obviously when it was on, we taped it off the telly. So I had a VHS so for 10 years, I had this VHS until my brother decided he'd rather tape the uh, football match off the telly. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> find a tape and he just stuck that in and recorded over it. And so in anger, I smashed the tape 
<laughs> I felt I felt betrayed, but uh, I think so you the were right. Time, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a justifiable yeah, response. Right. Yeah, it wasn't even like a cup match, as far as I remember. You know, it's just like I just felt like utterly betrayed by my family, or well, certainly my brother. But uh, for that meant for the longest time, it just disappeared way before you know the birth of YouTube. It just, that just disappeared into the ether. So it started only coming up again when like Barshans or, or again, obviously Digitizer picked at it and we could have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the Digitizer recreation. Because you say a bit of fun. <laughs> um, that's a harrowing end sequence to the episode. Uh, how was it pitched to you or was it your idea or was it brainstormed? Uh, what was the genesis of it? Initially, it was going to be I would play Duck Hunt again. We were going to have it on a Wii or something and get it running on emulation and I'd lose again and then we'd come up with an ending. But Biffo had a very different idea of what he wanted to do <laughs> and he didn't tell me until quite late in the day. Because there's a lot of moments in Digital of the show where I am dressed in a ridiculous outfit. And I go along with everything because I kind of like being the put-upon straight man sometimes. But also, when you're filming something and he shows you last minute and the camera's about to roll, you can't really say no <laughs> sometimes. So he did have me over a barrel. So he goes, well, how about this? Instead of we'll do duck hunt, how about you're the duck and we'll have the guests hunt you? And I was like, oh, all right. Mentally speaking, it didn't work for me, but I, I see where it was going. But I said, if we're going to do that then, I don't just want to be shot at for ages and then that's the joke. I want to snap. I want it to be like this failure on Games Master has been like burning at me for years. And this humiliation is what pushes me over the top, you know? So the idea of being trigger happy and stuff like that. So I said, I, I've got to go mad and I've got to end this violently. Because again, I have two t comedy types. I'm rude or I'm very angry. They're my two comedies. That's like swinging points. That's where I swing from. And so I can do angry very well. So I, I just said, all right, I didn't, we didn't tell Stuart and Steve and all this of what was going to happen. They just knew that I was going to be angry with them at the end. And so everyone was very shocked when, when we did that final take of me coming out with a shotgun. They were shocked and a lot of people ran out the way and I just got the chance to kind of scream at the camera and then once they went, Shh, stop, everyone just was like silent for a minute. And then everyone started nervously laughing. And I was like, it's just acting. I'm not really angry about all of this, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I imagine a lot of people listening to this will be already familiar with Variety of Your Output. We've talked about Digitizer and your work with Paul Rose. What about your own projects? Because I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to plug Cheap Show, which is, is just... <laughs> It's two failed stand-up comedians who hate doing stand-up, who decided that podcasting was a much better way of expressing themselves and then discovered they were wrong. We started out wanting to do a podcast about the things we like, and me and Eli, my co-host, love charity shops and looking for random weird bits and bobs. And so when we started out doing Cheap Show, it was like, uh, we haven't got a format. All right, well, let's buy that from a charity shop and you have to guess the price. Oh, that's all right. And it kind of developed over the first 10 episodes. But effectively, yeah, it's a, it's a comedy magazine format show where me and my co-host Eli Silverman go through charity shops, Bargamins, Poundlands, all that stuff. And we look for interesting things that we find in there that we can talk about. And sometimes it's random and sometimes it's food. And sometimes we go down rabbit holes of albums and nostalgia. So I like it, but I also appreciate it's a hard sell because it's quite vulgar. It has <laughs> lots of strong language, language, and at times it can be aggressively surreal for no real reason. So when people say, yeah, it's like Bottom and Derek and Clive and Vic and Bob, it's like, yeah, because that's all of my influences and I, I, I steal from the best. And so... <laughs> 
So, so that that's it. It's it's cheap show. It's been going for like five years. As apparently now we're five years old. We're going to have two hundred episodes in October. There'll be another big live show. But if anyone's interested in hearing two forty-year-old men rummaging about in bins, playing with retro toys, finding weird music, going on and on about Winky, and uh, don't mind bad language, then yeah, cheapshow.co.uk or at the Cheap Show Pod. Paul, thank you ever so much for your time. Um, thank you and yeah for giving us a real eye-opening insight into games master at that early point mm, in yeah, its yeah. history so unfortunately it is with a heavy heart that we go into the next stage of the program but if after the tenseness of that you perhaps think that life has lost a little bit of its edge wait till you see the three new games we're reviewing this week this week, whoops, Vicar, it's time to send Granny out of the room as we look at adult games. First up on the Amiga, Mrs. Whitehouse's favourite, Deluxe Strip Poker 2. I can't see the pleasure in seeing these rather unattractive people when you could buy a magazine of better looking people with no clothes on, but it's a good fun card game. It's good fun to get out of a party. There are also data discs available with male characters on for all those unfortunate girlfriends and wives so they don't feel too left out. When the novelty's worn off about stripping, it's actually a very good game. I thought we'd have to wait until the gore special to get this sort of content. This is a brave choice this for a... season one. This is like, this is end of season one. <laughs> if we're not renewed now, what does it matter? It's a bit fruity for half past six though, isn't it? It, it, it was quite fruity. Some interesting use of, um, of, of church parts for censorship <laughs> in some of these. I was watching this on the tube and felt massively uncomfortable. <laughs> I watched it again on the overground this morning. I gave zero sh- because it was half past six in the morning. And at that point, if you're looking over my shoulder, you deserve everything you get. <laughs> Uh, during our reviews this week, we've got Dan Welly, Stephen Carsey, and Jane Goldman. Jane Goldman, who at this point was like uh, da, 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 22, 23, still a freelance journalist. Yeah, she's wrote for Zero Magazine here. But also uh, wrote for, I think a bit later, Game Zone and Sega Zone. Yeah. In addition to things like The Times. Yeah, you know, you know little, little publications. Doesn't really matter that one. But, you know, she's an incredibly successful screenwriter now, doing yeah, work, working but, with Matthew Vaughan. Yeah, really, really a successful partnership with Matthew Vaughan. And also not only the scripts that she's written, but a very polished script doctor has gone yes. in and worked on a lot of things that you might not even know that she's worked on. Such is the life of a script doctor. Exactly. And she has got some thoughts on our first game, which is Deluxe Strip Poker 2 for the Amiga. Not just Strip Poker 2, <laughs> Deluxe, Deluxe uh, Strip Poker this little tidbit I got here was from Karen Graham, who was one of the developers. So the first uh, strip poker was released in 1988, and they knew that they were going to receive a lot of complaints about this. So Karen Graham told the Games Machine in 1988 that uh, they were going to release a male version of the game in order to counterbalance it. That game was never released. And instead, cut to 1992, they released Deluxe Strip Poker 2. So Stephen says that for all the sad, lonely wives and girlfriends out there, or unfortunate, the unfortunate yes. wives and girlfriends out there, there are data discs with male models on. My favourite thing about this is we get this comment effectively twice. He goes, really? It's quite a fun card game. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much to actually make a decent poker simulation. But my favourite comment that she comes out with is... Good to bring out at parties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and Dan, our final uh, contributor to this, says that once the novelty wears off, 
It's actually a pretty good game. It gets 60%. I'm disappointed they didn't go with 69. Come on, guys. It was right there. It was right there. Also, they actually big up the fact that the gameplay itself is pretty good. Therefore, I feel that maybe it deserved closer to 70. Some of the other games they've given 60% to or they're, they're, thereabouts, really, yeah. it doesn't feel like a fair comparison. I think that's a fair comment. Next up, also on the Amiga, inscrutable oriental puzzles with an attempt at titillation in Geisha. TV titles are but, um, actually a little bit tame at the end of the day. You're going to be fidgeting whether you've bought it as an adventure game or as a piece of adult entertainment. It just doesn't really deliver. It's a fun game. A bit long and drawn out, really, to be commercially viable. But it's going to do way better than our next game, which is Geisha for the Amiga. Now, last week, we said that we had our highest rated game with John Madden 92. Woof, this is the lowest. Oh, isn't it just? This is a very, very bad game. Uh, Dominic Diamond describes it as inscrutable oriental puzzles with an attempt at titillation. So in their end-of-year wrap-up, Amiga Power said of this game, they said it was a tacky ploy giving way to some of the most unplayable sub-games ever with presentation of a kind that people used to get arrested for. Bottom line, could this be the worst full-price game ever reviewed in Amiga Power? Our 5% mark would certainly suggest so. I'm wondering what they gave Rise of the Robots. Did Rise of the Robots get an Amiga review or was it too late? Might have been too late by that point. Ah. Um, but Dan says that the game's a bit tame at the end of the day. Jane says that it doesn't deliver. And Stephen says that it's too drawn out to be commercially viable. A horrific 41%. Um, as I think I covered before, maybe it will make the edit, maybe not. I've started to get back it. I've started to get into the Amiga now, mm. like finally, because emulation makes it a lot easier. And I, I got hold of a massive pack of games. You don't need to know where from. Yeah. I'm fairly certain this game's in there. <laughs> and part of me is going to go... Okay, so I've played Medalic Attack, I've played Magic Pockets, I've gone back to Chaos Engine. Shall I boot this up? And the answer will be, probably. Will I play it for more than 30 seconds? Probably not. And lastly, fueling the fantasies of balding, pot-bellied PC owners everywhere, Leisure Suit Larry 5. It's really good fun. It delivers in, in an adult way on a humour front, and it's fairly fruity as well. The graphics are excellent. This is a really fun and a challenging game. Well, again, that's probably getting a lot of play is Leisure Suit Larry 5 for the PC, fueling the fantasies of balding, pop-belly PC owners everywhere. Something we can all aspire to. Exactly. Well, Either actually... fueling or being. <laughs> well, actually, this 7.9 is fueling me. Um... <laughs> Its full title is Leisure Suit Larry 5, Passionate Patty Does a Little Undercover Work. The Leisure Suit Larry games, I mean, this is the fifth one. Spoilers, there's a lot more to come. They keep going. There was one released only a year or so ago. Yeah, well, spoilers, this wasn't actually the fifth game. There was no Leisure Suit Larry 4, and that plays into the plot of Leisure Suit Larry 5, that there wasn't a fourth game. Oh. The absence of Leisure Suit Larry 4 forms the basis of this newest installment as Julius Biggs has stolen the missing floppies of the game and caused Larry Laffer to become amnesiac. Huh. Larry is now in the adult film industry, working for a mafia-connected company known as Porn Prod Corp. His boss sends him across the United States to scout for models to appear in America's sexiest home videos. Implying that adult film industry has ties to the mafia or the mob? That's nonsense. No. Where... Leisure Suit Larry as a series gets things right and where I think Geisha and to a degree the strip poker game didn't is they built a solid game and then they didn't just slap the titillation on top 
they went, okay, how do we now build it into it as part of the humor? It was more cartoony. It was more viz. It was cheeky. It was the cartoons in Playboy. It was that little bit. It was titillation. Mm -hmm. But they were also very well-written games. I'm not necessarily sure they should still be coming out now. But at the time... They were great. They were brilliant. They they were very well received. I didn't get to play them because I was too young. Yeah, totally. And there were there were some games I could sneak past my parents. Leisure Suit Larry, probably not one of them. Not going to be one of them. Jane calls it really good fun. Uh, delivers on an adult front in a humorous way. And it's fruity as well. And Stephen says that the graphics are excellent and calls it a fun, challenging game. A really, really respectable, great score, 89%. Absolutely. And this of the three games is the one I'm most likely to look at and go... Let's take a bit of a peek at that. Let's see what's going on because it's a point-and-click game. And at the end of the day, I do like a point-and-click game. We've talked about it before. We talked about it again off-episode because you messaged me about Blade Runner. That's right, Being yes. released on good old games. And I'm well in for that because yeah. not only Blade Runner, but a brilliant point-and-click adventure game. It's a quality game, that's Absolutely. Now for this week's feature, which sees the second part of our look at the new Whopper consoles. This week we cast our eyes over the one everybody's talking about, the Super Nintendo. Once again, Paul Lakin, the editor of GameZone magazine, is here to whet our appetite. There can be few consoles that have been more eagerly awaited than the Super NES, which is being released in the spring. People have probably already seen it as a Super Famicom, which has been available on import. It's a really exciting machine with a colour palette of about th over 32,000 colours and um, four layer screens which make for some impressive 3D graphics, 3D appearing graphics. <laughs> it's possibly the best machine around at the moment. The quality of the games for it's outstanding. I'd say it really lives up to its hype. And our feature this week is the second part of Games Master's look at the Whopper consoles that are coming out for the 16-bit era. I didn't get the Mega Drive, but we sort of talked about that last week. They sort of did it in the uh, their PR fluff piece. This is an actual look at the Super Nintendo, which will be coming out in just a couple of months. Yeah, we were two or three months away from it at this point. Potentially, this could have been the most exciting preview of all of them. In reality, we got some footage of someone playing Super Mario World. Poorly. Very badly. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say Super Mario Brothers 4 then, <laughs> and I was going to find something to throw at you. But yeah, Super Mario World poorly. Uh, a little bit of uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yep. Three seconds of Castlevania. Yeah, we get the opening to Super Castlevania 4. I'm wondering at this point, where was our F-Zero? Yeah. Where was our Super Soccer? Because even though it wasn't a great game, it still used Mode 7. Pilot Wings, yeah. my, my favourite. Where was Pilot Wings? So it was a weird choice of games, other than Mario. Mario was the obvious choice. Seeing Castlevania, albeit for a few seconds, was really nice. I love Super Castlevania 4. That's a brilliant game. It was a weird little fluff piece. At the time, it didn't diminish my desire for Super Nintendo any less. Although no. at that point, I was heavily conflicted because the Mega Drive dangerous sexy shoot the cat at the arse oh yeah but i was already a game boy owner oh, and so right. there was a little bit of early brand loyalty because i'm like the mega drive's kind of an unknown but i know how much fun i'm having with the game boy yeah well paul Aiken from GameZone magazine is here to talk about the super nintendo he says there hasn't been a console more eagerly awaited than the Super NES. Uh, it says that Not many... since the last one. <laughs> no, yeah, it says that many have seen it already uh, with the Super Famicom on imports and, as everyone was doing at this point, putting over the massive colour palette uh, that this console boasts. And that's where we get the uh, these shots of Mario World and Super Ghouls and Ghosts puts over the multiple layers. That's where they use Ghouls and Ghosts as like a really good example of like its incredible, really impressive layering. 
Oh yeah, parallax scrolling and mm. all that bobbins. But he does say, you know, gives really good 3D and then corrects himself 3D style. Yes. And I was watching that and I'm like, ha, you needed someone to say edit point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he said it's the best machine out there with a great library of games. It really lives up to the hype. I was a Nintendo kid. I kind of still am. I may not have a Switch, but I'm still playing the hell out of my 3DS and my GameCube and my Nintendo 64 my Super Nintendo because that was my family of consoles. Yeah. As big a fan as I am, I can't look at the Mega Drive library and the Super Nintendo library and say that one was better than the other. And I yeah. don't think anyone objectively could. Well, we're heading into a really fun period of time when we're going to cover Series 2 and 3 because that is really at the height of the... Mega Drive versus Super Nintendo Warp. Series 1 almost feels like a, a holdover of a different generation because there's a lot of Amiga sort of stuff. But when you get into Series 2 and 3, that all moves aside and it is all about these two consoles. Absolutely. It's going to be quite a weird time to revisit because the one thing that I have become more conscious of as I've started to think about this more is we were both at school at that point. Mm -hmm. And something I think I'd kind of pushed away is that actually the Sega Nintendo War did result in a lot of bullying in schools because you it was like West Side Story. You had the Sega click and then you had the Nintendo click. Yeah. And then you had the Atari Lynx click and that was the one kid that ate the glue. But, <laughs> but it, was, it was a source of bullying as much as any fad or trend could be at that time. I'm not a kid anymore. I don't know how much it still occurs with the consoles. I suspect less because console exclusivity is much... Yeah, it's common. It's not as big as it once was. And also, as we discussed when we discussed right back at the very origins of Games Master, even in times of recession, even in times of austerity, even in times of restricted spending, parents will still spend money on their kids. And so there is a chance in a lot of households that kids may have a Switch and a PlayStation or may have an Xbox and a PlayStation or a PC and a Switch. Very few of them will be limited to one choice. And usually, rather than the console dictating who their friends are, their friends will dictate what console they have. Yeah. I'm a Sony owner at the moment. I do have some friends that have an Xbox One. It kind of sucks that I can't play online with them. But when I bought the PlayStation, I did buy it because the majority of people I knew who were playing games online owned a PlayStation. Yeah. Do I play games with them now? No, no, no. <laughs> well, let's head into our final celebrity challenge for Series 1 and find out what we're doing with the Games Master. Nice to see you again. I'm flattered that you've come back to try your hand at another of my little challenges. I thought a spot of football would be rather apt for my second little jaunt, and I've chosen a game by the name of Emlyn Hughes International Soccer. A resilient and hard-tackling England side will pit their skills against the flair of Brazil over two 90-second halves. May the best team win. Well, what a f***ing surprise. It's a sports game again. It is probably one of the best sports games, like, oh, review-wise. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, this game... Uh, yeah, I'm, be I'm being glib by saying that it's... Oh, no, uh, yeah. I know, but by comparison with what we had last week, which was <laughs> a ripe potato of a game, Yeah. Emlyn Hughes International Soccer was so loved it was a multi-platform game and it featured on many of the platform's top games of all times particularly the 8-bits Amstrad Action my best friends at the time declared that you ain't played footy till you've mastered Emlyn oh yeah which diamondism <laughs> uh, I'm fairly certain I owned a copy of this because I just got 
a big box of Amstrad games right towards the end of my life with it from uh, classified ads yeah. in the back of the local newspaper. And that was where I got Escape from the Planet of Robot Monsters, uh, where I got games like Mindfighter and all these really weird multi-game packs. But I also got a copy of this. Mm. And at that point, I was still kind of in my first wave of being into football. And I remember playing this a lot. I was terrible at it, but it didn't stop me playing it because it was a very polished game. Well, the Commodore 64 version was rated as the 44th best game of all time in a, an issue of Commodore Format magazine in November 1994. Yeah, you're right. This game got absolutely massive, massive reviews. Emlyn backed the right horse on this one. Didn't he just? And in this fast and furious footballing encounter, young Sonny Neya from Ealing will be taking on the man who named the game, former Liverpool and England captain, Emlyn Hughes. <laughs> Now, Emlyn, welcome. Now, this is your game. You must be the pre-match favourite. Well, I, I think I'm favourite in the bookies' eyes, but I hope that the referee abandons it with all this fog about <laughs> because that's my only chance, I think. <laughs> now, Sonny, how do you think you'll handle yourself against Crazy Horse himself? Well, I think I'll play a lot of computer games at home, so I think I could do it. OK, well, I'm going to... My money's on you for this game, Sonny, Watch I think. You. And that is who our celebrity is this week. It is Emlyn Hughes himself. This is our first challenge where the game's spokesperson is actually part of the main challenge. We're going to discount Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker providing commentary providing commentary and clicking a mouse button once yeah, yeah. which button am I pressing this one done cool <laughs> snooker mate nailed it <laughs> completed it completed it yeah we've got Emlyn Hughes coming out here former England and Liverpool captain he's going to be playing against Sonny from Ealing and Emlyn is I've written here very friendly with Sonny he's got his arm around him I think he's really trying to like make this kid feel very at home and just have a nice time. We said about Barry McGuigan last month, I'm going to revise that top three because you know what? Emlyn is another guy that not only is comfortable in front of the camera, but he wants this kid to have a good time. Absolutely. And when he first walks down the aisle, Sonny does look a bit nervous. But by the time he gets on the camera and there's a bit of interplay between him and Emlyn, his personality shines. And I'd actually say that of the actual kids on the show... Sonny is one of the most entertaining. Yeah, he's great. He He's a natural in front of the camera. And as we find out, Emlyn is not a good games player. Sonny, however, is brilliant. Yeah. He plays football games the way I play football games, which is essentially rush the goal. <laughs> That's all you do. Bit of background on Emlyn Hughes. Uh, began his professional career in 1964, uh, playing 474 matches for Liverpool between 1967 and 1979. Good innings for them. Won the league four times, the FA Cup once, Charity Shield three times, the European Cup twice, UEFA Cup twice, and the UEFA Super Cup once uh, before retiring in 1984. Got 62 caps for England between 69 and 1980 and got his OBE in 1980. But very sadly, uh, he's no longer with us. Passed away in 2004 at just 57. That's, that's no age. That's no age. It was a sad brain tumour. Oh, man. But anyway, back to the challenge. Back to the challenge. Um... Dominic Diamond thinks that Emlyn is the favourite going into this. After all, this is his game. And Emlyn says, well, I may be the bookie's favourite, but I'm hoping they're going to call this match off due to all the fog, because that's the only chance I've got of winning this. First person to acknowledge all the fucking smoke around this church. <laughs> Uh, but Sonny, on the other hand, plays a lot of computer games at home, so he thinks that he's going to absolutely nail this challenge. 
Spoiler, he ain't wrong. <laughs> we go over to Dave Perry. Dave, still not the animal Perry. And his muscle shirts uh, on the commentary booth. And keeping me warm and snug in the Games Master dugout is our very own expert, Dave Perry. Dave, welcome. Hi. Now, Dave, what general tips can you give to our players for this particular game? Well, with most football simulations, the most important thing is mastering the tackling early on. And um, not being afraid to take the goalie on, I think, is important in this game. Is this the last appearance of Dave, not the animal Perry? Do we go full animal for season two? I don't know. I'd be very interested to see. Well, we must be close to full games animal. We, yeah, we must be close to kind of like, you know, something's happening. Perry is evolving. <laughs> <laughs> He's reached his final form. Perry has learned snark. <laughs> oh, no, he learned snark in this particular challenge. He's having a whale of a time on this challenge. He is pissing himself this entire time. I mean, to be fair, I can understand why. Because one, these recording sessions were fairly long, but also it's justified because Emlyn was an amazing footballer. You'd never tell it by the way he plays video games. Absolutely not. Yeah, okay, so Sonny is playing as Brazil, nearly scores right away by running through the entire England team. That sentence there, but you can replace it and he scores, is the rest of this match through both halves that we get. We've got two 90-second halves, and it is Emlyn losing the ball, Sonny grabbing it, and just running through the whole team and running it into the back of the net. Oh, it's a lovely ball over the box, and Brazil have got it. In fairness, Emlyn does get in a dirty tackle that Fashnu would be proud of. He like the first tackle of the game, and it is a wallop. It's like it's both feet out. Yeah. You know, studs out right into the shins. So there's still one minute left of the first half when Sonny scores immediately again to make it 2-0. <laughs> Emlyn starts accusing him of cheating at this point that, because it was a controversial goal in all fairness. I was going to say, that well-known cheating method of being actively better at a game. <laughs> Absolute cheating. Emlyn keeps losing the ball. Sonny scores again. There's still 35 seconds left of this half. A point of observation is that both Emlyn and Sonny employ the tongue-sticking-out-for-concentration tactic. I mentioned it last episode episode we get even more tongue action before the end of this episode and there is so many of just scrambles in the penalty box as em- as sunny is trying to run it into the net and emily is doing everything he can to stop him from doing so that box sees a lot of action it really does oh dear it's a full-on scramble as the <laughs> It's a full-time scramble as the halftime whistle blows to take us into our ad break. What a breathtaking game we have here. Young Sonny from Ealing has already stuck three goals past Emlyn Hughes and it's only half-time. Will Emlyn claw his way back? Join us after the break. They say nobody's perfect, but ATS were recently voted Britain's best fast-fit company. We achieved British Standard 5750, ensuring top-quality service. And we're cutting our prices. We'll be giving away free cars next. Don't miss out. Get down to ATS now. Now the man they call the sheriff was a low-down, dirty rat. Mean as a rattlesnake. Why, he once stole a hat. If he passed by your way, better watch out there, you see. 
So the town called for help One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How do you keep getting rid of stains like this? Chocolate without fading colors to this. A real problem with some traditional powders, but not with new area color. It's got a unique color plus system. The bleaching agents have been taken out and they've put in color safe stain digesters. To prove it, I was asked to try it. After just one wash, Aerial Color got the chocolate out. Unlike some other powders, the more it's cleaned, the more it fades. But with Aerial Color, it's clean and still green even after 20 washes. So to get your whole wash clean, don't change your colors, change your washing powder. We did, didn't we? Yeah. New Aerial Color digests stains without bleaching out colors. Master Stadium. Young Sonny Nea from Ealing has stuck three goals against Emlyn Hughes, to which Emlyn hasn't replied. Will this be a one-way traffic of a second match? Let's kick off the second half to see. Throughout for the second half, Emlyn nearly scores an own goal, which Dave Perry thinks is the funniest thing in the world. Oh my God, he's gone the wrong way! No. Be, oh my God! <laughs> Footballing suicide there from the England centre-back. I, I think England were told to score in the second half, but nobody told them they changed ends. <laughs> It was. It, it was, was genuinely funny. hilarious. Dave says at one point, I don't think there's a goal at the other end. <laughs> We've never seen it. What are goals? Yeah. We just don't know. We just we don't just, know. Well, what, does, yeah, what does the Brazil goal look like? No idea. Goals are fu- it's a funny old game, isn't it? <laughs> 4-0. Yeah, 4 <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Diamond thinks that it's curtains for England. Mate, it was curtains with 35 <laughs> seconds to go with the first half. We're still going. I mean, the best thing is, for the fifth goal... It doesn't even make it off the centre line. <laughs> Suddenly just runs right up, steals the ball off the centre roll, rushes the goal. Oh. Boom. Oh, that was absolutely unbelievable. The ball was in the net, then it wasn't in the net again. Well, that's football for you, Dave. It's a funny old game. It certainly is. And unfortunately, it's not a game of two halves because this half is going to see as the first. Brazil 4-0 up. It looks like it's courage for England here. Brazil get the ball. It like it's courage. 
I'm not even convinced there's a goal at the other end of the screen, actually. And Brazil have got the ball. Oh, they're going ganged up on him then. They were determined for that one. I don't think we've seen one pass in the game from England. We haven't seen a pass from either team, I don't think. It's been a purely dribbly game. Oh, Brazil have got the ball. They're keeping another England defeat since 1973 by my reckoning Dave I think so and that's when we get this really weird shot of Sonny licking his lips not licking his lips he's kind of going (laughs) (laughs) just like steady now there's confident and then there's kind of creepy yeah the game is over Brazil win 5-0 and Emlyn brilliantly just goes Emlyn has been crouched by you were lucky there, kid. Jammy, you were dead jammy there. I love that. He wasn't jammy. He was full f***ing marmalade. <laughs> it was such brilliant selling of it by Emlyn. Emlyn, commiserations, Emlyn. Ah. Some nice charging runs up the middle, but you couldn't get a ball in the back of the couldn't net. Couldn't get a ball in the net. They were too good for me, Brazil, and especially this little laddie. We had a brilliant match. You did, Sonny. 5-0. Better for Trenton against Emlyn. How do you think you won? Just attacking him. Puts his arm around him again. Said that was an absolutely brilliant match. Sonny said that he won by attacking him, you know, which is not a lie. It's very much what happened. It's always the downfall of an England squad. We just don't know how to deal with opposition that are on the attack. So Sonny wins the joystick, and he and Emlyn leave this arm in arm. I had a lot of fun with this. I thought Emlyn was great. The challenge was, I mean, it's more or less the first challenge we got in our first episode. It's a nice mirror image, I suppose, really. Maybe that, I mean, given the recording schedule, who knows when this was recorded? I would say this is more entertaining than the Fashion New Challenge. Yeah. Partly because of the sheer pasting that, that Emily takes. Soaked, yeah. First time I watched this, because normally, first time I watch an episode, take rough notes, skeletons yeah. framework. Second time, I make more in depth notes. First time I watched this episode, I just stopped typing. And I just watched the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Then I just skipped back a couple of minutes. And I watched it again, and I'm like, this is just fun. It's what you want from a celebrity challenge. You don't need the celebrity to win. You don't need them to be good. You need them to be in on it. That's exactly it. As much as I love the Heimdall challenge for all the wrong reasons, (laughs) he really didn't know why he was there or what he was doing. I still maintain he probably the first time tried to throw the joystick at the (laughs) television and just wondered why it didn't stick and just walked away going, I'm going back to bullseye, Chris. (laughs) Well, Dominic Diamond needs a breather after that hectic encounter, so let's head on into the consultation zone. Hello, Gamesmaster. Welcome to my kingdom. Very sadly, we are coming to the end of the series, and you're one of the very last three who can take advantage of my advice. So, how can I help you? I can't get through the Lost Woods in Zelda. Can you help me? Ah, Zelda, one of my favourites, so full of surprises. There's only one way through the Lost Woods, young man. Up... You can then proceed to the next part of the game. Thank you very much. You will find it quite easy. Our first kid cannot get through the lost woods in The Legend of Zelda. Oh, f***ing hell! (laughs) (laughs) This game keeps coming up. This is worse than Jason Voorhees. It just won't die. I was going to say, we were talking about duck... Hunt earlier in this game being in an old as ass game. This game's just as old at this point. And kids are still going like, how the hell do I get through the end of this? 
See, I made notes on this whole thing of Games Master saying, well, this will be the last consultations only of the series. So, you know, make it a good one. And then the first comment I've got on the first game, oh, fuck me sideways, it's <laughs> Zelda again. Because Games Master says that Zelda is one of his favourites, so full of surprises, one of them being that anyone completed it unassisted, because much like Mega Man, I refuse to believe that anyone completed this game without a hint. There's probably one guy out there who just sat down with this game, played it in one session and completed it, and then ascended to the next plane of existence, because that's the sort of thing you're talking about. Completely. Anyway, you need to go up, left, down, left, and that will get you through. That takes you through to the next bit of the game. That's how you get out of the Lost Woods. And it's not even an easy path to navigate, because while you're trying to navigate this, you are getting shot at. Yeah. Not just enemies running at you, but projectile weapons and stuff, and bows and God knows what. It's really funny as well, like, doing these episodes back-to-back, like, we're recording this back-to-back as well. Metal Gear last week, the very first thing on that was, I'm stuck in a maze. Yeah. Where you've got to go a certain path to be able to get out of it. Hello, Games Master. Hello, and what can I do for you? On Shadow Dancer, I keep getting killed trying to get to the top of the Statue of Liberty. Can you help me? Oh, dear, young man. You know, I hate to say this, but you really do seem to be rather lacking in ability. All you need to do is to keep to the right-hand side of the platform as it rises, but then you can dispose of the ninjas as they appear to the left. By doing that, you reach the top of the Statue of Liberty in no time. It really is quite that simple, you know. Oh, cheers. Well, I wish you all success. Our second kid is stuck on Shadow Dance of the Mega Drive, which we saw last week. Uh, and he can't, <laughs> he's, he's struggling on a level where he just keeps getting killed by ninjas, basically. And Games Master's just like, well, clearly it's because you're an idiot. Yes. You lack ability. Yeah, that's exactly it. He says this young man is lacking in ability because you've just got to keep to the right because the ninjas appear on the left. He says that, but then the footage kind of shows that as soon as the ninjas spawn, you move left. Yeah. Which I don't know if that is actually the right move because it does feel almost like you should just stay on the right and wait for them to come to you. Which is what you would do on Streets of Rage when you're doing the elevator level yeah. that takes you up through to the final boss or to the final level of the game. You stay right to the edge and wait for all of them to come out of the uh, on each floor. When they come, try and just hip-toss them over. And now we come to our very last visitor to my kingdom. Hello, Games Master. I've been playing Rag Gravity for absolutely ages and I still can't find the crystal bombs. Could you tell me where they are, please? Oh dear, oh dear, let me think. The crystal bombs in Rag Gravity. Bear with you one second. Oh yes, if I recall correctly, the crystal bombs are in Varnia. Yes, Varnia, that's right. After you drop down the shaft, you will need to use the energy disk to fly under the hole in the roof. If you then jump up and go to your right, you will find the secret room which contains the bombs. Does that make sense to you? Yes, thanks a lot. Uh, and our final game is stuck in a game that I didn't quite catch the name of. I think she said it was Rare Gravity? Uh, the game is Rad Gravity. Oh, Rad Gravity. Do apologise. This is the 90s after all. It's an, well, it's an older game as well. It's barely the 90s. It was 1990. Oh, wow. Quite well received as a game kind of tough as arseholes. Oh, really? Well, uh, they, they can't find the crystal bombs. And I love how long Games Master takes to, like, go into his archives. They really needed to dub in some floppy disk noises, like... Duh, 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 duh. He's like, where are they? Yes. Oh, yes crystal bombs, yes. Where are they? 
I actually just... Oh, like, I remember. They're on Varney. I, I reckon that this was after lunch and the delay was because I've had a few trying <laughs> to focus on the cue card. So you need to use the flying discs and jump into a hidden area to get the bombs. It's not actually that obvious. It's no wonder this game was tough. Well, that's it for the consultation zone. So let's find out what our final challenge is from the Games Master. I fear this may be the last of our little get-togethers. A melancholy moment indeed. No matter. I have a highly amusing, if rather macabre, little number with which to finish off the series. It's called Decap Attack. You will need to guide a headless personage by the name of Chuck D. Head through the first two levels of the game in less than two minutes. A stern time challenge. Whatever you do, don't lose your head. To be honest, this was a bit of a surprise. I was not expecting Decap Attack to be our last game here. Now, it's looked back on fondly for a number of reasons, one of which is long-running appearances in Sonic the Comic. Yes. As you'll be able to hear about on... Sonic the Comic, the podcast, not Sonic the Hedgehog, the podcast, as I said in episode two. Could have got away with it. Could have <laughs> let it lie. But no. But no, it, it, is, um, it is fondly remembered by those who play it, but it is not a game that I look at and go, well, this is an obvious candidate for a challenge. As the game goes, it also has a bit of an interesting past, Decap Attack. It is not its original release. It it's was a reskin. Um, yeah, well, uh, well, a reskin and a remake. Yes, because this was a complete reskin and game modifier of Magical Hat No Butobi Turbo, which in itself was a remake slash ripoff of a NES game called Kid Cool and also a Master System game called Psycho Fox. Yeah, so this is kind of third generation Betamax with a new dub. It is the better game. Yeah, I really like Decap Attack. I'd never played it at the time. It was a game. It's funny though, like, because the Sonic the Comic, the podcast lads have talked about this before when they were, you know, reviewing the issues. That I knew about this game so much because I read Sonic the Comic, but I didn't play this game until I was in my mid to late twenties, maybe. It's not a game that immediately grabs you because it's not a Sonic, and it is a weird aesthetic. Yeah, really weird. It's, it's quite slightly, cool. It is cool. It's slightly macabre. It's um, slightly kind of hokey horror, which, in fairness, is literally my toast covering of choice. The biggest change they made between this and the Japanese original is they did away with the one-hit insta-kill. Which I think is a smart move. I mean, the Japanese game... This, this game is quite challenging. The Japanese game was Mega Man. Yeah. Kind of hard. Now, we may be featuring the first two levels of this game, but two minutes is a very tricky time limit indeed. Attempting to sprint his way through this game challenge is John Beveridge from Hastings. Now, John, this is a very tough game. How long have you been practicing? I've had the game about a week, so I've had quite a bit of practice. Right, that's right. I hear you're a bit of an expert, but it's a very tough time challenge. Two minutes. Are you confident? Yeah, I am. Okay, that's good to see. If you'd like to sit down, get your joystick in your hand, and we'll get ready to play. Uh, but John from Hastings is our challenger here, and he's had the game for about a week, and you know, thinks he's fairly confident. So Dominic Diamond tells him, you guessed it, Go get your joystick in your hands and we'll get ready to start your challenge. He's just getting them all out of his system because this is a Mega Drive game and therefore it's not a joystick, it's a joypad. Exactly. God, factual inaccuracies, it pisses me off. Well, Neil West is back <laughs> and we know it's Neil West this time because he's got his hat. He reclaimed his red hat from last episode where it was stolen briefly. <laughs> Yeah, an interesting challenge this. I really like it. So you've got to get through the first two levels of the game in two minutes. It's a tricky time limit. It's also especially tricky because they don't even pause the timer but in the level breaks. No. It's a good job they didn't do this in the PlayStation era because PlayStation 1 in particular... <laughs> yeah. 
And helping to keep me moist and fluffy in the pulpit tonight is Neil West from Sega Power. Welcome back, Neil. Hi, Dominic. Now, any tips you can give John for the game? Well, you didn't underestimate it when you said that two minutes was very, very tough. There's lots of things to pick up, but the one thing he's got to make sure he gets is the head. He can then pick that up and chuck it at his enemies. Right. Nice, indeed. And Neil West says that, like, you know, we've said it a lot during this series that this is a tough challenge, but this really is because the time on this is going to be very tough. The first thing you need to do is get the head that you then throw because it is decap attack starring Chuck D. Head. You do have a melee attack where they shoot the face out. Yes. Which is... Very phallic. Very phallic. But the proprietary method of attack and the one that they want you to use because it's the name of the game is lobbing your head at people. I'm guessing in Magical Hat you were throwing your hat at people God knows what extended out of your body in that game. (laughs) And John knows where to get the head from. It's right to your left. So he goes there immediately. Neil West is like, brilliant. He already knows what he's doing. He's got the head. And this is, we talked about this before we came on mic for this episode. This feels like the genesis of speedrunning a game. This lad is doing this. He knows how the quickest route to get through each level. And it is, it's pretty spectacular. He doesn't care about points. He doesn't care about killing enemies. He's not worrying about power-ups. The main thing he's concerned is getting through it as quickly as possible, which is why you use this kind of a weird floaty jump move to skip the first third yeah. of the level. I'm pretty sure at some point he started, he damage boosts himself where he's just like, well, I can take a hit here and that will make me invincible so I can get to this next point really quickly. I wasn't sure if that was deliberate or not because he makes it through the first level in blinding time. He less bombs than, it. Like, like 45 seconds. Yeah. He's still got a minute 15 left, which is good because the loading between stages, remarkably for a console game, is about 10 seconds or so and that clock is ticking all the way through the second level is much more of a vertical climb more vertical yeah and is also a real ramp in difficulty the density of enemies and the ability to avoid them is a lot less as well misses the platform he does he botches a jump and he has to go back and do it again and then about two-thirds of the way through disaster strikes he loses the head he loses the head and that means that all he's got is his phallic attack (laughs) That was the original name for it, Phallic Attack. (laughs) But it's fine because he knows there's a shortcut that he can take. Very quick thinking. He goes through that, makes it through 12 seconds left of this challenge, and he makes it through. It wasn't the obvious choice of game. It wasn't the first sort of game I'd have chosen. Bloody hell, it's a good challenge. I loved it. It was. And there was just the right amount of tension when he lost the head as well. Because up until that point, he was making it look very easy. And losing his primary method of attack... It just made that little bit of a difference. Yeah. Now, John, you heard through those levels there, but you came a little bit unstuck in the second one. You took a hit, you lost your head. Were you worried at all? No, not really. I was near near the end. Right, and you did it with 12 seconds to spare. It was incredibly good. Uh, John says in his post-match interview that he knew he was near the end, so losing the head wasn't the worst thing in the world, and he wins the final Games Master Golden Joystick of Series 1. He says he never really felt like he was in danger. Good for you. I was bricking it on your behalf. (laughs) Very confident kid, uh, this John. The ending felt a bit anticlimactic of him not even really kind of really doing a big celebration, just walking off with it tucked under his arm. But the challenge that preceded it, oh, chef kiss. I thought it was great. And tragically, that brings Games Master to final close. So for the last time, I slip on my smoking jacket and take a melancholy mug of rosehip. And I can only wish that one day we'll resume our blossoming relationship. Good night.
But tragically, that does bring us to a final close. So we're going to have a melancholy cup of rosehip and hopefully we can resume this blossoming relationship. I feel like we were just dumped. <laughs> like, was that the television equivalent of a Dear John letter? <laughs> was this something I said? Was this something I did? Why don't you write to me anymore, Dominic? What's going on? So that is our final episode of Series 1. What did you make of it? I'm going to go with 89%. Oh, big. I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it the same. I gave last week's episode 89. And I think both these two episodes stand at a consistently good level. 89, maybe 90 if I'm feeling a little bit fruity because of the 7.9% beer. It was a great show overall. All the challenges just fit. We had success. We had heartbreak. We had a amazingly unexpected review section. Yes. Interesting games in the consultation zone apart from Zelda. Yeah. But the others, something a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to go higher. I'm going to go 92% for Whoa. this one. I loved all three challenges. I thought Duck Hunt was a lot of fun, uh, particularly with Paul on there. Uh, Emlyn Hughes was so entertaining and I thought that Dave laughing throughout the whole game was really, really funny and Sunny was a, a great challenger on that and it was a fun challenge to watch. I thought it was it was pitched really perfectly. Reviews was really fun. Not the greatest selection of games, but I thought that they added the fruitiness to it. Fun consultation zone and I loved the speedrunning aspect of the final challenge. I think the only low point sadly was the Super Nintendo preview because it just felt underwhelming. If I wasn't already hyped for the console, that preview wouldn't have done anything to drag yeah. me over. Yeah, it didn't do anything that we didn't already know. No. So, season one is in the books. That's it. We are done for series one. We're going to be heading over to a games rig uh, very, very shortly. For Spoilers! <laughs> Sorry. So we're not going to be leaping into season two straight away. We're kind of going to do a bit of a season one retrospective, take on board some of your feedback, because while we are recording this just as episode two has dropped, we're hoping... That by episode eight or nine, we can interact with you. We exactly. Can, we can arrange some discourse. Yeah. If you want to send us MP3 clips, you can do so by emailing feedback at underconsultation.com. Yeah, absolutely. Or message us on Twitter. And we would love to hear what you thought of season one, what season one was to you, where you were, what you were doing, what you were playing. We know what our story is, and we're telling it as part of this podcast, but we're putting this into your ears. And some of you will have had your own experiences and it'd be really nice to build those into the narrative. Yes, and tell us your favourite challenges, your least favourite challenges, your favourite celebrities, your favourite consultation zone. Like, We'd really like to hear from you so we can do a, a fun Series 1 retrospective podcast episode. Before getting into the long haul, because this was a breezy 10-episode Season 1. Really was. Season 2, 20-plus episodes, boy. Oof. So, until our retrospective show next week... We're going to put on our smoking jackets and have a melancholy cup of rose hip, and we'll see you all in seven days' time. Take care. Now for that information about the Under Consultation Club. 
You can follow us on Twitter at UnderConsolePod, and you can send your thoughts on each episode to feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also follow your hosts on Twitter at ThisIsLukeOwen and at AshVersus. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a subscribe and a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.